Hello everybody, James here, Franchise University with Shane Douglas, episode 9, and in our ever-changing format as we do with this show, just to keep everybody on your toes, this week is going to be a news episode. We're going to be looking back through the news of the wrestling world in the last couple of weeks, because I know Shane's got some opinions, especially on... uh, TKO's purchase, oh sorry, the uh, yeah. am, uh, amalgamation of WWE and UFC into TKO and some other stuff as well. But before we get into the news, Shane, good morning. We've been putting the world to rights for another half hour beforehand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good morning. Uh, I, I got to interject here for one second, I, you know, uh, to make sure that this is said publicly, uh, because a friend of mine was sort of hurt. I uh, thought that, that we lied uh, or that I'd lied to him. When the name, first of all, will you verify who who decide, who made the decision to call this franchise university? Ooh, it was you're the one who came up with the name. Came but, up with it, but as one of them, but there was going to be a law. Correctly, I was I was checking with Terry Funk, yep. and then during that time, you need you decided that it needed to 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 be named, and went ahead and just pulled the trigger. Yes, uh, I couldn't get in touch with you because obviously, I think Terry passed away. And yes. then the episode was coming out like a day or two later, and I had to call it something. So yeah. uh, I hope you weren't too annoyed with me going with that name. No, 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 no. I, the, the reason I say that is uh, like a year ago or so, a friend of mine and I were out uh, having some drinks, and we were talking about doing some kind of like a online like civics program, program about government, um, much like I would have taught in the classroom. And because, uh, again, here we have a lot of people in this country that – that really uh, have no idea. Uh, the poll just came out that 90%, 9 out of 10, 25-year-olds can't name a single freedom of the five in the First Amendment. Speech, press, speech, press religion, uh, assembly, and redress of grievances. I knew that in second grade. Uh, and that just exa- like blew my mind. How could I gave Fs to kids that could probably name three of the five. Mm-hmm. You know, So... Uh, uh, anyway, we were talking about this this podcast, and he he said, "Hey, about, how about Franchise University?" Well, I mean, that's it's not like that's a you know, like wow, what a stroke of genius! You know, where did that come from? Having been a teacher, uh, you know, wrestling the franchise type character, how you know, play, and and rather than say, "Well, I've kicked that around for other things," just to make him feel good, I said, "Yeah, let me let me, you know, let me think about that." You know, never put like an explanation to it. So then, when this came out he contacted me and felt like I had ripped his name off. <laughs> and, you know, so, so Ned, if you're out there listening, I, brother, I promise you, as we just explained it, you know, that that's where it came from, uh, how it came, uh, came about. And unfortunately in that time, Terry had passed away. So I was trying to reach out through Tommy because Tommy had the closest connection of all his dreamer and, uh, hadn't got back from him in a couple of days. And then I hear Terry died and I'm sure that Tommy was aware that he was going downhill. I, I wasn't. And, uh, you know, out of that, I, I, I certainly didn't want to be disrespectful or appear to be disrespectful to Terry in any way. So, uh, Ned, if you're listening out there, I love you, <laughs> but that's the, that's the gospel truth on the name of the uh, podcast. Yeah. I'll take the heat on that one. If, uh, if it helps, <laughs> man, um, <clears throat> there's a couple of, actually, uh, the other thing is one of the first concepts that we came up with for this podcast was that we would be doing all the wrestling stuff, but also you want to talk about some real world events and obviously yeah. education stuff as well. I'm not the person to sort of bounce that off of because I just don't, like, if you name, like, the five freedoms, I don't know what they are because that's an American (laughs) thing, not an English thing. Sure, sure. So, although I could have guessed at least a few of them, you know, like human rights. But at some point soon, uh, as we've talked on off-air, that uh, that basically you'll be on your own 
doing some videos as well, just uploading them and, uh, you know, giving civics lessons, history lessons, yeah. and everything else that you're passionate about yeah. as well. And they'll be exclusive to the uh, YouTube channel. So that will happen at some point relatively soon. I don't, I've, I've got something to... I think I actually know exactly what I'm going to do with that. So uh, that will hopefully be coming out sooner rather than later. But yeah. just before we uh, carry on with all the news of this last uh, couple of weeks in the wrestling world, a lot of people have been asking, who is Moose? Now, there's a wrestler called Moose in TNA. Yeah. People are wondering if Moose good from guy, TNA too. is hanging about behind you. Yeah, but good, it's not. Good, good dude. So who well, is who is Moose slash Chris? So so Moose is a uh, uh, manager uh, slash agent. Uh, I met Chris. Uh, Chris is his real name, of course. I used to call him Danny the Dinosaur because he's so big. Um, uh, big, uh, huge, former, played semi-pro ball for umpteen years. Uh, huge wrestling fan from, from the Charleston, uh, West Virginia area. Um, and I had run into him. He was working with Kevin Sullivan at the time and, uh, you know, started talking, hit up a friend, you know, struck up a friendship and, uh, he started taking over my bookings, which, you know, is huge to me. I, that's, that requires, I used to take me hours and hours every just, you know, scanning through, looking for phone numbers, calling people. And, uh, he's just a huge wrestling fan and through it, he's, uh, you know, met a, a ton of the other guys, pretty much everybody um, books, a lot of them out, uh, maybe not exclusively, but books, a lot of them out. Uh, uh, Francine, Sandman, Jerry Lynn, you know, a lot of the guys from ECW and, uh, uh, you know, just has a passion for it. He's a huge wrestling fan growing up. And like he said, for him to be able to meet the guys, get their autographs, get merchandise, you know, his, his memorabilia signed and everything. But what he does for us, you know, at first he works a full-time job. He's with, uh, with uh, well, no, no need to say the company because they could, you know don't bring anything back around on him. But uh, works for a pretty big company. Has a good job with that. Uh, works probably sixty hours a week with them. Uh, does this, and then on the weekends he's constantly running with us. He goes to bed uh, 12, 11, 12 o'clock. Sometimes gets up at three thirty to go to his other job, and then comes back and does this. You know the guy. I've got told him, you need to slow down. He's got two beautiful daughters, uh, just just gorgeous girls, uh, smart. You know personality uh and you know i told him i said you you know you, you want to be around you know for those girls when they walk down that aisle or at their senior prom or homecoming queen become a doctor like whatever it is they want to do because they're gonna be fantastic at whatever they do uh so yeah that's moose we, we always throw moose and we're not talking about the moose from uh from uh, uh, uh impact uh but it, great guy too and uh uh, so yeah, that's you know, take, he sort of uh, takes care of all of us, which is which is greatly appreciated. Yeah, me and him were just don't, bitching back and don't forth. Don't tell him. Oh, don't tell him. No, 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 no. I'll never tell him. Oh, just just before you got on, we were just bitching back and forth on who works longer hours. I think it's him. <laughs> but yeah, and yeah, he's got yeah. kids as well, so you know, uh, bless him for that. But yeah, no, he's <laughs> he's he's been uh, he's been great for a lot of people, I think, including me and you. So oh, yeah. uh, good. Uh, uh, yes, Chris is a good man. We can definitely agree now. Funny, you should mention you stop yourself from saying TNA and then you went T Impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is our first bit of news, Shane. Impact okay. are renaming themselves. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. Who knew? <laughs> to TNA. Uh, <laughs> time warp, right? It's like, like you, you know, did the thing on like, yeah. Right? Look at the camera. It's, uh, yeah. And what's the story behind that? Uh, I think it's probably because people have been calling it TNA ever since it was renamed Impact. 
So yeah. it's just it's, it's it's like X and Twitter. I don't think it's ever going to fully stick. So uh, announced yeah. on Saturday's Bound for Glory pay per view. We're recording on a Sunday morning your time, so this is pretty yes. hot off the press, as it were. Uh, Impact revealed the name change in a pre-recorded video. Impact Wrestling President Scott Demore said, "We still hear the TNA chants wherever we go. Fans have longed for TNA Wrestling, so that's what we're bringing back in 2024. TNA Wrestling, we're back." And then they had the logo out. And it's the exact same one as the uh, original pointy, long, thin logo uh, with like yeah. some yellow instead of gold. But that's pretty much it. Does I w- does that mean I anything to you? It, no, I mean I wonder if it has something to. I mean, first of all, you're right. Everybody still calls it TNA, right? And I, like you said, like how I you know, proffered into that because honest people out there watching, I, we hadn't previously yeah. discussed this. Uh, the uh, I'm wondering though, like the way my brain works, was there something with copyright law? You know, that the Dixie Carter, the Carters, possibly. I don't know what it's been so long since I've looked into that kind of stuff. But my guess would be there probably be something like that, that it was, you know, owned by to a certain point and then let lapse. And when I, if I were, if I, God, it's, again, it's been so 25 years since I looked at that stuff. But uh, I think when, like, like when I had, the, you know, the, the protections of the uh, franchise, triple threat and all of that, uh, uh, it was really convoluted. You, you couldn't just do the franchise Shane Douglas because then somebody called themselves the franchise James Romero, and that's different. So you had to do the franchise Shane Douglas, the franchise Shane Douglas, triple threat. You had to do all these different things. And then there's like, I think, 51 different classes that you have to do for each one if like that you want to protect it in. Uh, but it, it like if it lapsed, like if I let it lapse, there was a grace period that like you couldn't come in like day one and snatch it up. You know, like it would come back to me and say, "Hey, there's a guy that wants to buy the franchise. It's still yours, but you have to, you know, pay these fees." So my guess would be there was probably something like that with it as well. Um, but you know, it's like you said, you know, people are going to say, "How many times you heard uh, X previously, you know, previously on his Twitter?" Um, and you know, how long are people going to say that? It's going to, you know, people are going to say Twitter ten years from now and know what you mean. Uh, same thing with TNA. So uh, interesting. Uh, again, it shows you how out of the loop I am with my own industry. You know, it's, uh, I just, just don't have the time to like every day, get on and check the news, you know? Mm. No, in fairness, this was yesterday evening. This was announced yeah. as we record this. So, you know, if, unless you were checking this morning, you wouldn't have noticed, but, uh, something you may well have noticed or, and by the way, uh, with Dutch, I tell him all these new stories in advance. I give him the script in advance. Shane, yeah. uh, prefers to fly by the seat of his pants so much, or either yeah. Chris doesn't have a printer to print all this out for you. <laughs> so <clears throat> the next one, and maybe the biggest of the week, Sting announces a retirement date. Yeah. So he goes yeah. on AEW Dynamite, and he says he's travelled up and down the road with the guys, the influences in his professional career, and why he and other older wrestlers keep coming back to wrestling. Uh, 2015, he claims, was his original retirement, although I think we've more or less established that he really first tried to retire in 2001, 2002, 2003, then he goes to TNA. And then the big joke is he retired every single time his contract was coming up, and then Dixie Carter paid him another (laughs) half a million a year contract, and then he came out of retirement to come on. But uh, Sting's entire career uh, and his retirement and announcement, and he will be either 64 or 65 when he eventually sort of hangs up the face paint as it were yeah yeah i mean big news right you, you, you were talking about one of the major icons of my generation's uh uh, uh sp- you know, time in the sport um uh steve I, I i got to know steve very well he's the first person when i went on the road to uh uwf 
I had you know driven several days to Dallas. I you know didn't drive straight. Took my time you know moseying on down there, and got to the office, parked in the underground parking, went to the elevator, and Steve and his wife Sue at the time were there. And of course, I know who he was because I watched the UWF. And I told him where I was going. Say, yeah, follow me. I'll show you where it is. And uh, ended up renting a room in their house uh, at the time when I was in, in UWF. Uh, so I got to know Steve Lewis, a good guy. Uh, really um, loved the business. You know, he he and uh, uh, Warrior Ultimate Warrior came in at the same time as I think the Blade Runners, and uh, both have been bodybuilders and you know in California, and uh, uh, came in. Uh, I would say that Steve was probably the more diligent as far as like l- working to learn the craft. And, uh, you know, there's w- when you hear people say that, like uh, I'm sure Dutch probably talks about that at times and other people that you speak with, uh, there's no one craft to learn. There's so many different things. Uh, if you look at, say, Mick Foley, Sting, the franchise, and Ricky Steamboat, you see four very different types of characters. They're all successful to different degrees. Uh, Sting was able to take, uh, you know, the base that he had and coming into the business and, you know, come up with a character that really sunk into the imagination of the wrestling fans. That ain't easy to do. Sometimes it's luck, sometimes serendipity, uh, sometimes it's, it's by design. Uh, you know, but when you look at that, the one thing I, like for me, I don't say, uh, is like, boy, that guy just got lucky. Like, there's no such thing in this business. You don't luck will take you like maybe through the front door. Uh, but to run the roads like like we all used to in UWF, and that was a real territory run. Uh you, you know, you you have to have some kind of a love for the business, uh, because otherwise you couldn't stick it out that long. Uh, but Steve was 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 lucky in the sense, like I was lucky to to get their break into the business in a company like Bill Watts's UWF, because we've talked about it before. That dressing room was just chock full of incredible wrestling talent. Uh, just sit down, kid, under the learning tree and soak it in. And so he took that and did very different thing with it than I would have done with it, right? Because again, we each have our own individual skill sets. Mine's vastly different than his, but I will credit Steve with this also. Uh, I had gone down there. Uh, I'm sure if you go back and look at those early UWF tapes when I was there, um, sort of a skinny-ish, softish looking kid uh, because of Steve's background. You know, when I would go into the gym as a kid like that, I'd okay, I'd do a set of these and then go over and do a set of that. And hey, that looks fun. Let's go do that. Steve was the first to tell me, like, no, you do a body part like this and, you know, walk the, keep the cable straight. Like just these little tiny details from a bodybuilder's point of view that I, I credit him and some others like Steamboat and, and uh, uh, Snooka with later teaching me more about that. But the initial portion of me understanding what to do in a, in, in a weight room was from Sting. Uh, so if this is his, you know, final retirement is, is, his real like lifelong retirement, uh, man, you know, what a legacy he's left on the business. Uh, and I, I know Steve, I, I, uh, enough to know that he's probably being some semblance of, of guidance, at least to the guys he's working with. Uh, when we were in TNA, uh, I had always thought like these, all these great veterans that we had in the dressing room would sit down and. James comes and says, Hey, can watch my match and you, know, you divvy out the uh the same way it was given to us. Um and instead I think Steve was more didn't want to look like, hey kid, I'm the know-it-all, let me teach you. Uh, but if you put him with somebody, he would teach that person. Like, like you know, I'm sure he's learning right now with Darby Allen. Uh so it's uh 
you know, if again, if this is the the final one, and something tells me because like, and it's not a slam towards Steve. This business, when you've been successful at the heights that Steve has, and and I, let's face it, he's been to the pinnacle of it. Uh, it's a very powerful opiate, and just like alcoholics fall off the wagon, uh, you know, I think Steve will in some way always be around the business. But at 64, 65 years old, you know, this all those years, decades in the ring take its wear and tear. But at 64, 65, no matter how well you keep yourself in shape, your body can't do what it used to do. You know, it's uh, you hear the phrase, it's hell to get old, uh, better than the alternative dying young. But, you know, Steve's reaching that point where, you know, I think he could risk serious injury. I think, like, wasn't there something recently like where he like, fell on his face or something? And, yeah, he, you he know, like, jumped off a ladder. He jumped off a ladder, and I don't, either the people weren't supporting the ladder in the right way, or something like that. He didn't get the distance. He jumped out. Uh, the ladder was in the ring. He jumped off, and then slammed his chin right into a fella's knee, and yeah, then he ooh. ends up. Yeah. So you know where that little soul patch goatee sort of thing that was just like bright red. Yeah. So yeah. He really yeah. busted himself. Ouch. Off. Yeah. Sure. You know, and in that age, you know, again, like for you kiddies out there, you don't bounce back quite as easily as you used to. So, uh, you know, he certainly made enough money. And I don't think that's why Steve does it anymore. I'm sure, you know, the, the contracts are certainly important, right? You don't want to go out there and do it for free. But, uh, uh, you know, the fact that that he's still able to do it and still do it at a fairly decent level, right? Like yeah. I, you know, it's like what, looking back at Terry Funk and ECW, you go like, my God, you know, that he was performing at that level in a company like that at that time is really amazing. And the same thing for Steve. But for all the guys, younger kids out there in the business, and I don't say kids like condescending, I mean, because we're older than you guys, uh, Pay attention. Watch what he's doing. See, you know, the charisma that Steve has and how he oozes that out to the audience and and makes that personal. Everybody in that audience, when you see someone like Steve uh, Sting, uh, everybody in that audience thinks when he looks into the audience, he's looking at me. Uh, that's that's called charisma. You know, he's making that personal contact to that uh, to that to that audience. So. Uh, what a career. If this is the end of his career, uh, kudos. He's left a big mark on it. That ain't easy to do, and especially in this sport. And uh, I, I wish him, if, again, if, if this is his retirement, the best retirement that he's uh, uh, deserving of. So good to hear. Uh, just one thing I want to pick up on what you said before was that he really loved the business. And I think that Sting maybe gets tarred with the same brush as the Ultimate Warrior, who, as you rightly said, was, broke into the business with. And Warrior is more famous as not loving the business as much as looking out for number one kind of thing. But with Sting, yeah. I always felt, you know, he always seemed to strive to improve. And yeah. even and, and uh, there are stories out there where, you know, people working with him had to tell him, you know, when to do the howl, when to do the comeback, and basically it took him a long time to get his timing right in that sense. Mm. But uh, some people use that as a criticism, and I say, well, hey, the guy stuck at it for years to try and get better every single night. Yeah, yeah. And look, I also like had a different take on Warrior. Uh, you know, I... I don't expect that everyone's going to have the same ardor for the sport that I had. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's some that have more. I'm, you know, like uh, Candido and Cornette, right? They could 25 hours a day talking about wrestling. I love wrestling. I can talk about it a good chunk, but I also like to talk about other things, the weather and my kids. And uh, which, by the way, I went to my son's, uh, had their first ever concert in Pittsburgh. Dando Vanes played their first uh, gig in their hometown uh, Thursday night. And a uh, person was there from a radio station and, you know, gave me some some information for them and stuff. So pretty exciting. Anyway, uh, but with Ultimate Warrior, 
uh, yeah, there's this mindset that he wasn't saying as in love with the business to say like something like I was. Um, but I think, you know, and I could see there were times when Steve would be off putting to be, or not Steve, uh, uh, Jim would be off putting to people, you know, but to me that it always seemed like that was a, like a defensive shield. Um, that he, you know, you walk into those dressing rooms, especially back then, you go, Jake Roberts, and you know, this litany of just amazing talents around, and you're running to the ring and shaking the ropes, right? So you're you're very well aware of who's better than you in that dressing room, and it, it, you know, there's and there's always this perennial, you know, ongoing thought that I'm never going to be as good as Harley, I'm never going to be as good as Steamboat, I'm never going to be as good as this person or that person, and I think that was. Jim's sort of wall to put it up there, like to cut it in between that. I don't think it was that he disliked the business or uh, whatever. The business can be, as we've talked about many times on the show, incredibly intimidating, especially when that young, young person walking in there. And when you walk in there and you realize, yeah, I ain't as good as that guy. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's so that's my like two cents on, on Jim Helwig. Uh, again, though, left a huge mark on the business. A lot of fans are going to remember that character for a long, long time. Uh, but you're right with Steve. Like he, I would watch him and we, you know, we traveled in UWF, me, him, uh, Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner ran those roads together. And, you know, we, the, the, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours in the car and excuse me, uh, it, the conversations were about just that, you know, learning this or learning, Hey, tonight I did this and that didn't work. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of that kicking stuff back and forth. So uh, I give Steve a lot of credit. Like I said, not easy. If it were easy, everybody would do it. And, uh, you know, it's come up with that character that's going to create millions of bucks for you and your family and, and, uh, millions of fans around the world knowing you, you, you go to any country and ask anybody ever heard of sting. You know, sure, the guy with face paint, whatever, and you know they're going to be able to cite his title runs, the matches with flair, and all of that. So, uh, again, not an easy thing to do, and and kudos to Steve, C career well done. Next on the agenda, and this is the thing that I know you've got the most to say about. Uh, would you, you tell me how much you want me to do the preamble, or you can just launch in there? But Ari Emanuel on Vince McMahon. It's been widely reported that about a month after the TKO merger and TKO president Ari Emanuel claiming that Vince McMahon would be a major part of the company, Vince is already being marginalised within WWE. It is still current. He is still current executive chairman of TKO Holdings, but it's been reported that pretty much all creative control has been wrested away from Vince and handed to Triple H on the orders of Emanuel himself. So, uh, I can say more, or do you just you know enough and yeah, let's do it? Well, you know, it's there's a whole lot of things going on here at one time. First of all, you know, nine plus billion dollars, uh, which is by my gazentas double what the UFC was sold for. Um, you know, so you know, I've always said with Vince, you know, I can, I can give you my personal distaste for the guy and, and his uh, predilections, but uh, you can't argue with success, and he has done something that. Uh, you know, that no wrestling promoter before him could have ever envisioned doing. They just, they didn't think in those terms. And, uh, you know, whether he just sort of fell into it or if he had this idea, whatever the case is, like he, he created something that nobody else had ever thought of. That said, the good with the bad, the yin and the yang. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday on the way down here. And, uh, Vince you know, took the business to stratospheric heights, hugely successful, $9 billion. Aren't many entertainment companies get sold for $9 billion? 
Um, so hugely successful. And you can't argue with that success. But but at the same time, when you look at it, the wrestlers are still by and large being treated, even those guaranteed contracts or whatever else, which is a huge improvement. There are still things there's you know that are uh still done as much as they were in the 30s, 40s, and 50s in this business. And to me, uh having survived the opioid onslaught of wrestling, the Holocaust that was was professional wrestling in the 90s. Um you know, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, you know, when I put myself back into that mindset, that was a scary, scary time. I, it really reached the point where I think most of us thought, well, this sooner or later, it's going to be my turn, right? This is what happens to wrestlers. You, you come into the business and you die. Um, so, you know, to me, I guess the best way that I can explain it would be like through analogy. If Shane Douglas goes to the WWF, E, um, and gets put in, we'll say, the semi-main event at WrestleMania. That is a life-changing single-day payday. Uh, in WrestleMania three, I think the semi-main event made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and that was nineteen eighty what, what 87. Uh, so that's a lot, a lot of money today. Uh, I have no idea what it is today, but if you know how many people out there watching this, if they had the opportunity to make. 500,000, 700,000, a million dollars in a single day. Uh, a week or two before you break a bone in your back or your neck, blow your knee out. Uh, something medical that the doctor says, look, dude, James, you cannot wrestle. I forbid you to step into that ring. Knowing that if you go to the office and say, Vince, I got to talk to you. Uh, something happened and uh, you, you're going to get coined, stamped, tattooed with either unreliable or injury prone you will most likely never ever ascend to that position again so i'd ask all the fans out there uh if this was your living and you fed your family put a roof over your family's head like this would you go in there and basically commit harry carry and say well okay that, you know vince I'm, I'm i'm taking myself out and and so i'm not trying to uh uh make it okay that wrestlers were self-medicating like that i'm just giving the mindset of what it was uh, there was you, you couldn't go to the cops or your lawyer and say, hey, you know, I'm, they're, they're, they're making because they're not making you do it right. You can literally take yourself out, but never going to get back there. And so, like, when you take the and that's just one example, when you take those types of things and you see this conglomerate being sold for just ungodly amounts of money. I think I read one one time that WWE was like the fourth or sixth most recognizable brand on the planet, which is pretty amazing. Uh, there aren't many people that are going to say, yeah, I'm just going to go out and, you know, just off myself to make sure that I never get back to that position again. Uh, again, not uh, okaying it or giving it the, the, the green stamp, a lighter rubber stamp, but this is the reality of it. This is how we make our living. So uh, me personally, I'd risk my, in myself, my personal safety for my kids, not just in wrestling. If somebody was running towards my family with a knife, I'd, I'd throw myself in front of them. Uh, and I think any, any parent would. Um, so that's, that's where it comes from. That said being sold, you know, the, the yin and yang events, and there's a lot of positive stuff with Vince and, and, uh, you know, there's Vince, the businessman, there's Vince, the person. And I think that's where like my separation comes in, but, uh, let's face it. There's also a lot of baggage with Vince. And especially now we hear that the FBI is, you know, raided and, you know, there's a looming indictment is the way the, the media keeps putting it. I don't know if there's an indictment looming imminently or not. 
Uh, it does seem to me that right now there seems to be a political tilt in this country uh, that if you are on a certain side of the fence, I think Vince is, uh, that you know you have a more likelihood of being the ham sandwich that gets uh, indicted. Uh, plus, we have just, and, and just speaking as a businessman, if you told me, James, that you embezzled a million dollars from your own company last year to pay for whatever, I'd be pretty reticent to invest my money into into your company or a company that has you as its figurehead. Uh, so I, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on here. But again, you can't argue with what 40 years of success from WWE. My guess is this is a uh, a pendulatory thing. It's going to be okay. Here's Vince. We're, you know, we're sticking with him. He's the guy. He's the valuable guy to have here because it's face it. He's the face of the WWE, right? And everybody that's a fan knows he's the guy that's behind it. So while they do this transition, my guess will be in nine, 12, 15 months, there's going to be Vince McMahon has decided to retire and go out and enjoy his life and, you know, whatever. They're going to keep a nice, neat bow on this thing. It's not going to be up. It's just throws ass out. Um, but I can't see him being there long term because, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, with the allegations of what the money was embezzled for and what the looming, again, the media's looming indictment uh, says uh, that, you know, you can't be a publicly traded company and have somebody like that in a very high, powerful position that's allegedly done these types of things. So uh, my guess is it's transitory. It'll be, you know, while we smooth it over, we're transitioning from this to that. And uh, it makes perfect sense to me that Hunter being named, uh, I'm sort of surprised that his daughter wasn't. Maybe it's because of the same name. Mm. No, uh, she's, she's long step. gone. She's long gone out the company now. She's entirely divorced from it all at the moment. Yeah, at, at the moment, right. But it, it seems to me that, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, Hunter, if you like Vince McMahon's business policies and, and the success, let's face it, Hunter would be the guy that you say, well, sat under that learning tree and, you know, sort of divvied that off to him uh, and Stephanie. So it wouldn't surprise me to see if Stephanie makes makes a return, uh, but it would seem definitely to be the logical thing that to go to Hunter because Hunter's been so instrumental in the back uh, for, what, 10, 15 years in that company. But I, I, I personally, and you know, I've been wrong on a few things before, I can't see uh, uh, that publicly traded company, what, amalgam, amalgamation, uh, uh, TKO, Sticking with Vince McMahon five years from now and saying that, okay, this is why we have him here. A lot of baggage. And uh, when it's your own company, you own 51% of the stock, pretty easy to say, I'm I'm going to stay here. Uh, I've heard it's down to 14 or 16%. 16, 16 yeah. So, okay. So uh, that's 49 and down. You're, you're in the weak man position. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, you know, again, there's, you know, there's, for every business, there's a PR, there's a side of the company that faces the public, right? That the public looks in and sees. And, uh, uh, you know, Vince McMahon, for better, for worse, has been an incredibly uh, successful businessman in growing the WWE. Uh, I just can't see long-term them them wanting to keep around. But also, like, from Vince's point of view, we always say in the business, like, you know, okay, you got all this money, like, why not just go out and enjoy it? I'd, like, I'd want to travel the world. I'd want to go see the pyramids, you know, do stuff like that. And Vince is not, Vince is a workaholic, so uh, he'll stick around. I think as long as they allow him to stick around, which I think is going to be a huge question mark as to how long that will be. Uh, I'm going to mention a couple of other things and then going to bring it back to Vince. So one of the big stories at the moment in Wall Street with this TKO Group Holdings Inc. is that the stock uh, was at a high of $105.50 on Tuesday, 19th of September. 
and today it's trading at just shy of 78. So that's a loss of what, just over 25%. Yeah. So uh, Ari Emanuel, and uh, you know some of this was made public, but I'll get to Vince in a second, but other reasons mm -hmm. apparently why they're claiming Tico stock is down is one, WWE SmackDown's uh, rights fees in the last cycle that was sort of finalized a few weeks ago was only a 40% increase on their previous payment rather than 50 to 70% that Wall Street were hoping for. And also, uh, which probably makes less sense, is that obviously with the UFC arm, Saudi Arabia has just acquired MMA promotion PFL. Although in that case, it really is just nothing compared to UFC, but still, mm. that may have spooked people. But one of the big things, and this is Ari Emanuel himself, mentioned Vince McMahon as one of the reasons why TKO stock was down, which isn't a great sign for Vince, was, <laughs> apart from the federal investigations that we don't know what that's happening with at the moment, uh, Vince owns 16.4% interest, uh, sorry, uh, has a 16.4% stake in TKO stock, and he can sell it at any time. Yeah. Uh, there's no caveats for him to, you know, uh, go to the company and have to work it out or anything. No, he can drop, he right. can flood the market with stock, in theory, and make, at the moment, what, $2.5 billion, and then yeah. see you later, and then he can basically kill the rest of TKO's, uh, you know, remaining stock by flooding the market. So that's, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why Ari is mentioning Vince McMahon specifically, and why they're almost afraid of him at the same time. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there is a reality to this, you know, and, and let's face it, there is a history of this, not just with Vince, but with the McMahon family, right? Throw out a million shares, buy them back when it's down uh, with 16%, even though it's still in the minority, uh, 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 vast minority portion of ownership of the company uh, with no uh, linchpins to have to, you know, hold on to this for, you know, there's, there's no agreement with the company saying rather than you just go public and sell this stuff, we can do that. Or you have to do this or that. Um, yeah. If you put that out there, that's going to dilute every stock that's out there. And if that's strategically timed and Vince is a strategic person, he could really, you know, draw like right now down what you said, 25%. What if today Vince just liquidated and, and threw it out there? drops another 25%, God knows what, maybe even more, because then would that spur a, a sell-off? People fear, like, hey, get out before we lose everything. It, that could be a bargaining chip as well to get back into the company. Say, hey, if Absolutely. you don't bring me back in sure. whatever capacity you want to be brought back in, yeah, then see you later, you know, uh, so much value of the company. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, who? I'm sure with a $9 billion deal, there had to be a ton of really intense negotiations going on because, uh, you know, I'm sure the average person out there would say, well, why didn't they, you know, put some kind of, because most people like in any kind of like a C-suite position or whatever uh, are going to have those linchpins. Hey, you can't dump, you know, you can't dump more than say 10% of your stock at any one time or whatever uh, that they wouldn't negotiate that. But Vince would have been in a position like once they offer that kind of money, he knows they really want it. Right. Well, you know, it's easy. You know, and Vince is a salesman, right? Say, why would I do this to my own company? Well, there's a history of this with the, with the McMahon family doing this. So uh, the one thing I'll say about Vince, until he's in a hole, uh, you know, you can never write with exact perfection the next chapter of what Vince is going to do. Uh, you, you know, he's, you know, and, and some begrudging backhanded way, there's a, there's a respect for me in that, in that way that he's, he's able to keep, you know, even, even in something like that, you say, okay, well, Vince is done. And, and then you hear that, and you go, okay, well, he's, you know, this is another chapter nobody would have predicted. Uh, 
just a sidebar away from Vince. Uh, I am still curious. I would love to hear what the fans have to say because I'm curious to see the uh, UFC and WWE are two ships passing in the night. Like I, they, they don't connect to me. I see my sons that are huge UFC fans. Um, and you know, I always hear, Hey dad, we're going to watch the UFC this weekend. Uh, uh, in fact, they were doing that yesterday. Um, you know, grew up loving wrestling. Uh, their favorites are edge and, and the Hardy boys. Uh, but when they walked away from it, went to UFC, uh, looking at my kids, I can't see them saying it suddenly. Okay. Other than those guys, it's mentioned Hardy boys and, and, and edge. I can't say them say, say, I can't see them saying, Hey dad, let's watch WrestleMania tomorrow. Uh, uh, and I think most UFC fans, that is, you know, I'm sure probably most of the people you watch in those jam packed buildings, probably at one point were WWE fans or WCW fans or ECW fans. And as they've gotten older said, okay, this is, the, you know, we're, we're maturing and this looks a lot better. Um, so I, I, it, it seems like a square peg in a round hole to me, the, these two things going together. I've heard people say that it's going to be so like like Conor McGregor, right? His in-ring career, in-octagon career is going to be wrapping up fairly soon. But boy, he's one of those guys that really fits into professional wrestling, right? He has that larger-than-life personality, that, that, that charisma and magnetism. Uh, so is this like the retirement home for their for the UFC fighters when they, when they reach that point, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see you know, how the UFC fans take to that being part of it. And I think they're going to have to proceed carefully with that because if it suddenly looks like we're just blending these two things together, I think it's going to water down UFC. And I think it's going to confuse the younger fans that watch WWE. Uh, but I'm sure they've got some kind of a plan in place. It's just still one of those things I want to keep an eye on and see how they do it because it, 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 because it just seems like a square peg in a round hole to me. Hmm. Uh, as far as we could go on for ages, but I think the business layout of both companies are actually relatively similar. It's like a live events company and that kind of thing. Sure. Um, I think the higher-ups have basically said if there is going to be any crossover as far as activity, actual physical ac- activity, it's a one-way street. UFC to WWE, not the other way around. Uh, as I say, we could go on and on and on about this, but for the amount of news that we've got in, we're, we're going to move on. Did you uh, see any of Tony Khan's Twitter meltdown last week? Uh, I was made aware by Chris Moose, um, the big ugly guy. And uh, yeah, I, I think that this you know, his honeymoon is now worn out. Uh, you know, In wrestling, if you're going to go out, successful bookers, if you're going to be a, a, like someone like a Dusty Rhodes booking while you're still in ring, and we fans and those of us in the business can go back and parse the good and the bad of that. There was both, um, like in most of life. But uh, if you're going to go out and make braggadocious statement of I'm now one of the top three bookers of all time, or you know, sick, some some you know, some uh, assembly of those words, and, you know, who are you comparing yourself to? I I can off the top of my head name probably 25 promoters that were a lot more successful overall. Uh, having a lot of money is a huge, that's a huge boon. Uh, my kid, if you gave him, you know, a billion dollars could probably do at least as well, uh, if not better. Um, so I, I think the fans, and I started hearing this weird thing from fans, not, not weird. It's just like a, it was like a, like a, a sudden blowback, you know, the AEW launched and even though the ratings were, you know, sort of this, that, the other thing, like no real growth spurts, uh, sustained spurts, uh, 
you were getting positive feedback from the fans. We'd be at the merchandise tables. Hey, did you see the AEW show? Hey, I love Jericho. You know, whatever. You know, that was the type of gist. About a year ago, year, maybe a little more, uh, what well, was last summer? So a year and a half ago, uh, I start hearing from fans. Started in Cleveland the first time I remember hearing it. A uh, couple people, you know, a couple comes up. I'm guessing 30s, early, mid-30s. Great shape, both of them. And uh, the guy said to me, uh, hey, what do you think of AEW? And I said, what do you think of AEW? <laughs> I'm not going to step into that landmine. And uh, he said, well, and he looked at his wife, almost like their wife or girlfriend, almost like to get permission. And he said, well, you know, we from we were bought in from the beginning. And, and he was really carefully choosing his words. And he said, uh, but, you know, after the last like six months, we're, we're out. Like we're, we're done. And that was, and I heard the first time, okay, that's different. I hadn't heard that. Now I've heard that almost every night, every time I'm out of, you know, with, with an audience. And it seems to be trending, you know, the argument's going to be, hey, we just did a great house and, in uh, England, uh, I it's you tell me if I'm wrong. I think any major American company coming to England, especially post pandemic, is probably going to do a pretty good house, right? Because it's something they don't get to see quite often. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, and again, not dispelling it, but you know, I, I would think by now, in the amount of money that they've spent, they should like Vince does when he comes over, instantly pack a building like that. Uh, in Pittsburgh, I've been to two shows of theirs in Pittsburgh. And neither time did they sell out the building. 11,000 11, seat venue, but a third of it taken up with stage and everything and still not full. And I would think by the amount of money that's been spent by now, that building should not be big enough for them. Uh, you know, uh, ECW is a little bit different of a beast, uh, a little more of an underground type of a, a promotion. Um, but by that, you know, by its end, we were able to go into those mid-sized buildings and pretty much pack them up. And, and and we hadn't spent that kind of money. So, uh, you know, and then all the, the you know, the, the soap opera stuff that, that the fans are hearing about in the dressing room, uh, you know, that's that I think now, like for the younger generation out there and for the younger fans out there, this is why there is a kayfabe. Right. So that what we do behind those walls, you and I could have a knockdown, drag out fight. You knock my teeth out. I pull your eyeball out. But in front of the cameras, it's an angle. Um, you know, and you start airing that dirty laundry, it really, really looks bad. I mean, it looks bad. You know, if you go out and air your family's dirty laundry, that looks bad. Everybody in the neighborhood's going, oh, what's James talking about that? You know, it's, uh, uh, and, and so there's a whole lot of negative right there. What I think Tony needs, if there's going to be any chance for this company, you know, for the senior con to, to, to capitalize on his investment, they're, they're going to have to quickly retool and go in another direction. Clearly what they're doing ain't working as we see the audience doing this, um, the ratings on TV being this, uh, uh, you know, the building's still failing to, to sell the buildings out. Um, you know, if they're going to do, they're going to have to retool and retool quickly. And it's going to take somebody that's got that, uh, that I don't want to say heavy hand, but somebody that's in control, you know, that like, you know, when, again, not that I'm advocating the style, but when we were kids in Bill Watts's dressing, you damn well knew who was in charge. Uh, and if you didn't like that, there's the door. Um, and I'm not advocating that has to be it. I, I, I believe firmly in respecting everybody's uh, uh, input. But ultimately, if I'm working for James and you come to me and say, OK, Shane, tonight I want you to put Moose over and I want to do it in three minutes. And this is how I want it done. I can say, well, James, like, here's the counter to that. But if you say, okay, I appreciate that, but still we need to go this way. Well, since you're the guy paying the check and writing the check to me, ultimately it's going to come to a point, no matter how vociferously I fight for my position, 
okay, I'm giving you what you want because otherwise you can find somebody else to do it. And I, you know, I think the AEW, they have a lot of talent there, a lot of talent and their production is incredible. You know, but money will get you that. Uh, but like Dominic used to tell us, uh, you can go to the ring with the best ring music. You can have the nicest tights and boots, the best ring jacket or robe. But when you step through those ropes and the music stops and you take that robe off, as Dominic would say, you damn well better know how to work. It's all about the product. Like for my son, you know, in the group I told him the other night, it's all about the performance. It, 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 if you go up on stage and you're missing your notes and sounds awful, sooner or later the club's going to say, no, we don't want you back. Um, it really is about that. And I think that's the one area that AEW has been really suspect in with that amount of talent, which is counterintuitive because they have so much talent. When you look at a roster on a piece of paper, you go, wow, you know, I could do a lot with this. Um, it's, uh, maybe it's time for Tony to, to, to ponder the idea that maybe he's not the right guy to be running it. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of pro football, right? doesn't mean I can go out and coach a team or, or, you know, be a man, general manager for a team. Uh, it, there's really a lot that goes on and goes into this. And I, and I, it sounds self-serving to, to those of us that have been in the business, but it's true. You look at someone like Dutch, right? Mantell or Dusty Rhodes, these guys, Bill Watts, Paul Heyman. These are people that have spent a ton of time in and around the business, really their whole lives, their whole professional lives. And so when you go to Dutch and say, Hey, we need to create a character that does something like this. And I want it to be a person about this big. And I wanted to wear you know, dress like that. And when Dutch comes back and says, well, I would change this to that. Maybe put, you know, tinker this and tinker that and boom, do that. He probably has a pretty good idea of what he's talking about. Uh, you know, and you see like in, in our business, even in WWE with all due respect, uh, I'm not qualified to write a sitcom or a drama for Hollywood. So I don't know how a writer for Hollywood is, is built to be a writer for professional wrestling. If you've never done it and you've never been in that ring and you got a certain time frame that you've got to be in that ring and out and you've got to present this stuff and oh, halfway through you get kicked really hard in the head or slammed on your head or something. You can't stop and go, Oh, time out. Can we start over? We got to, got to get this right. Uh, you've got to drag it through to that end and knowing from in, intuitively from being in front of audiences, what works, what doesn't work. Will the crowd react to this or react to that steamboat was a master at it. Uh, it without that experience, it's to me really impossible. And it's no slight towards any kid writer from, from Hollywood. I don't care how many awards they've won in their dramas and their, and their comedies. Uh, this is a different beast. It's not full entertainment. It's not full sport. Acting is a part of it. Being a great athlete. Those are helpful parts, but there, it's some kind of gray area in between those two schools. And unless you understand those nuances, you're going to get the, the snidely whiplash, hee, 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 heel, or the baby face that's, you know, this, which are uh, both of them corny. We human beings have exponentially more layers to us than that. And the, and the greatest characters to me in wrestling that were so successful had those multiple layers. Uh, and I think we're seeing right now in wrestling from, from Tony and, from, you know, from the, the WWE writers, this sort of, uh, least common denominator approach to wrestling. So, okay, you're a bad guy. So that means you would 
trip an old lady or whatever. How about the guy that helps the old lady cross and steals her purse? You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's nuances and layers to that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, the, the, the a lot of the criticism that's being leveled towards Tony right now is, is, is because like I said earlier, the product in the ring, you've got an incredibly talented locker room. You've got a lot of agents back there that know exactly what to do and what not to do. And so if you're not able to put those pieces together, no harm, no foul, but we three, three plus just, just going into the fourth year of this experiment. Okay. You got it launched. Maybe it's time to step back and hand that to somebody else that ha does have an idea. It doesn't mean you have to be exercised or, uh, you know, exercised from the business. Uh, but somebody that knows what they're doing. And I think a lot of the criticism, some of it's well-founded, some of it's going to be as wrestling fans tend to do like fans of any genre are going to jump on and pile on. But, uh, Bottom line is the, the the company for the amount of money that's been spent and the talent that's there is vastly underperforming. Yeah, uh, I'll very very much be brief with this, but a couple of the criticisms that uh, Dutch has spoken about is one, the roster is far too bloated. I mean, you're spending so much money on what two hundred people when yeah. you need for the amount of hours they put out <clears throat> eighty. Let's say yeah. you you could cut that down to you know two thirds uh, between half and two thirds. And the other thing is, uh, someone asked Dutch very recently on the other podcast, story time with Dutch Mantel, by the way, everybody, Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> what would you change about AEW? And he just said, sort of like the catch-all thing that he said for every promotion, it's like the most important thing is the story. Yeah. Why do you care why these two people are fighting? And if you don't care and they're just two people, then why would you pay to see them? You see, There's so much wrestling out there, you can see it all the time. And yeah. uh, what was the other... Oh, I've forgotten the last thing I was going to say. But yeah, if I remember it, it's uh, those two things. But yeah, the, the, more story. Cut costs because it's almost like a, a wrestler charity drive at this point. You don't need to hire 200 people and give them all a yearly contract. Yeah, it, it's almost like, you know, you, you take your kid, uh, you know, when they're four or five years old into the store and you walk past the toy department, right? Doesn't matter if you bought them 26 toys earlier this week, they want a 27th toy. Uh, you know, and so suddenly when somebody becomes available from WWE, there's this pension, like, especially in light of what we were told in the buildup, it's not going to become a home for ex WWE wrestlers. Well, can anybody name one that didn't go there? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, and again, nothing against those guys. It's just like you said, bloated. I need, if, if I'm running a football team, I need 11 players on the field. Uh, probably a couple backups in case somebody gets hurt. So I need 22 plus, you know, 30, 40. You can certainly run a team with that. You don't need 200 on the sideline. And, you know, plus on television today, far less time than we even we had. Uh, what's it down to? 42, 44 minutes per hour. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, when you're getting into those numbers, you can only present so much. And if in, in any business, if you have a even a drama, we'll say, or or, or a sitcom, if James Romero is a, a star on this sitcom and you're on this episode, but then we don't see you for four more episodes, you sort of get forgotten in those three four weeks, and then they come back. We got to spend time to get you back, you know, get the fans back into you. Uh, so, but if we can keep you floating through there, whether predominantly or just even a cameo, but you can only you can't cameo two hundred people in a forty minute show weekly. So, you know, it really does come down to what do you need? What do you want to be? If you want to be, you know, this type of a company, then you need those types of wrestlers. You want to be a sports entertainment company, you're going to need those kind of sports entertainers. Uh, but you, you can't sort of be this all things to all people and, and expect that that's going to somehow catch fire. 
it might catch a little fire with that semblance that you're playing to and that other semblance over there, that other sector that, that, that might be interested in that. But then you got this huge chunk in the middle that ain't interested in either of that. Uh, so you, you, you can't be all things to all people, but if you put out a product that has a very specific direction, very defined characters, uh, storylines like Dutch, you just said that, that, that attract you, that, that draw you in, uh, that's the kind of thing that will draw people to the table. And, I would dare say from the things that I've seen, uh, and again, I don't watch on a steady basis. Uh, it's been a whole lot of what looks like independent spot monkey type flash in the pan. Here's this person. You won't see him again for three or four or five weeks. Uh, you know, and, and when you look and you see, you know, like, like an MJF for the guy's size and everything else on paper, this guy should not work in wrestling today. And yet he's going out there and he's caught fire and a little news flashed everybody in the dressing room watching that and wondering all the fans out there, he's playing an old school heel, you know? So for the kids that say, well, I can't teach us anything. Well, he learned something from those old school heels and, and, and he's applying it. And in some ways in, in, in revolutionary new updated ways, and in a lot of ways in, in the traditional manner, but it's working. And mm -hmm. so, uh, I, I would agree with Dutch for anybody out there, by the way, you know, I would go catch Dutch's uh, uh, podcast, especially if you love wrestling and you want to know a lot about those inner, the, those inner tinkerings of wrestling, the stuff that we're sort of battering back and forth right here. Uh, Dutch is like one of those guys. He, he might drive you crazy with, with over detail, but, uh, uh, but boy, he, he, he's the guy that's sort of going to know what he's talking about when it comes to that department. Yeah, I remember what I was going to say. I even wrote it down that the criticism, the the best way to say it with Tony is that he was a match booker, not a storyline booker. He he can book matches that he would like to see and people like him would like to see. But essentially, if yeah. there's no story behind it, then etc. Uh, we'll yeah. move on. And for God's sake, I bet you've got nothing to say about this. Ric Flair wanting another last match. Have you heard this, Shane? I had, well, that's been really kicked around and banded about since oh. not long after the last one. Well, let me uh, let me give you the quote. So this was an insight with Chris Van Vliet. Rick said, I want to wrestle again right now. Isn't it crazy? I feel like because Ricky Morton, the guy that I should have chosen for my last match, would have been great. You know that what the best thing for me about it was is I forced myself to really get into shape. They gave me a goal, and I just attacked it. I didn't stop drinking or anything, but I was training literally three hours a day. I see you laughing in the corner of my eye there. Uh, five <laughs> days a week in the ring, or I was doing the sled, the ropes. Yeah, I got my bench press up to two and a quarter. I mean, from being dead to all that was pretty cool. Uh, I'll read a... I've got like four more paragraphs, so I'll read just a bit of it. Um, when the last match started to go wrong. In fact, actually, we can go on the last match again at some other point, but... Ric Flair wanting to get back in there and basically having a redo. Yeah. It's, look, uh, like I said about uh, Sting earlier, right? This is a, yeah, it's the most potent drug I've ever seen. Uh, you know, when you're in front of a live audience, and uh, you know, I think Gene Simmons and Kiss talked about it in the Rio de Janeiro show. You know, you get up there and you realize you can just tell this half million people, kill. And that, <laughs> that crowd's going to go do that. Uh, when you've been to the level, when the hell if you've been the guy that's the enhancement talent uh but when you've been to the level rick flair has right i mean that you know he's he's imbibed in a lot more of that drug that i'm talking about that opiate that i'm talking about uh than than most of us have right because he's been to the stratosphere in the business <clears throat> damn near impossible to walk away from and go cold turkey on uh uh, you know, it's, you're never going to want to completely walk away from it. And I maintain that Rick doesn't need to, 
Uh, he is going to always be the elder statesman or should be the elder statesman of our business. Uh, I love Terry Bradshaw. What an incredible quarterback for the Steelers. I don't want to see him playing for the Steelers today. Uh, comment on him, you know, go down and interview some of the guys, do whatever. There's a lot of ways to, to interact. But for me, and and I guess it's part of my, like my medical school training that Rick says that I didn't have. Uh, when you have a pacemaker, when you've been at death's doorstep as Rick was, uh, when you need to be put into a medically induced coma to save your life, understand that there are very scant few that come out and have any kind of quality of life after that. So again, Rick's hit the, he's hit the Powerball, right? He's, he's able to still be around for his kids and his grandkids. He was getting 5%, well, something like 5% chance of coming out of that, let alone coming out of that as physically okay as he is now. Yeah. And able to still get in the ring, at, yeah. you know, after that. Uh, but like uh, when you go back and I didn't watch it live, but I had gone back and watched it for one of my other podcasts that, that I had at the time. Uh, you could definitely see there's times he's struggling in there and, uh, you know, and, and that's nothing against his opponent. Uh, my thinking is, you know, you watch that and you see his family and his you know friends sitting there right there in the front row. Uh, my God, what if something had happened? Mm. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, God forbid that would have been atrocious. And, you know, he's capped off an incredible career. Uh, you know, why would you go back to it uh, and run that risk again? You know, it's it's my belief that Rick has this kind of weird, strange, morbid belief that he's going to die in the ring or something because he's Ric Flair. Can't die in a hotel room, can't die in your bedroom. Uh, you can't die, you know, just walking home from work. Uh, you know, it's got to be in the ring. And, I, you know, I get the poeticism of that. But, you know, it, it's... To me, you look out at those grandkids and, you know, those grandkids aren't going to want to read or hear you and me talking about these incredible matches this guy used to have. They're going to want to hear that from grandpa directly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and I think he owes it to them for that. Capped off a, an incredible career. Uh, my personal differences aside, I mean, he's he's the nature boy, Ric Flair. Uh, and be that, be that Mount Everest to the grandkids and to your kids and to, and to your fans and to everybody else. Hey, you know, please don't, don't go in the ring again. Especially if what we heard him say after that, he had blacked out twice during that match. If I was the referee in there, I would have panicked. Uh, let me, um, let me even build upon that. So this is another one of the quotes. So uh, this is the last paragraph. So I may have missed something out, but basically he's, he's saying that he faked a heart attack because he was dehydrated. He doesn't mention that he was, steaming drunk beforehand when he went in there he had a load of drinks yeah. but uh, he says oh god they were just going to slam me off the top suplex me stuff on the floor everybody's just panicked uh, so these are all the spots that eventually just had to get cut out of the match everybody's just panicked it's all uh, it all was a concern for me they didn't forget their parts that's his opponents they just went let's get through this that's why I had to fake a heart attack I went slow down, slow down, I'm okay, I should have never said anything, so then we got a little bit more back in, but my son-in-law Andrade had to put the brass knucks on my hand, he's going, wake up sir, that was it. So he's basically saying that he was feeling so terrible that he had to fake a heart attack to try and slow everybody down. But I mean, he, yeah. he does come up with a different version of events every single time he's interviewed with this as well, so. <laughs> yeah, as as is, you know, his working ways. Uh but, you know, you put these pieces of the puzzle together. You don't need to be an MD or a DO to say this is like a really bad combination of things. 
And, uh, you know, I would, if nothing else, out of respect for your fans, out of respect for what you'd accomplished in the wrestling business. I mean, why? You know, I mean, the answer is the payoff, right? He's gonna somebody's gonna hand him a chunk of money to do it. Yeah, but do, do you um, get it? Do, do, do you can you still sympathize with Rick? Yes, he's in his seventies and everything. Yes, he's physically really not up to it, or you know, on sure. game day he wasn't up to it. But do you still understand where he's coming from in that sense? Yeah, I do. Yeah, like I said, this is a you know, when you know, it's like what they say in the mobile. You know, once you're in, they you get tried and they pull you back in, right? Uh, you know. When you've been to the levels, and I've never been to that level, you know, it's you know, I've watched it from from you know from from a little bit below, and it, it's an amazing peak of a career. And there was a time when Ric Flair was the measuring stick in the business. Uh, you know, if you're going to call yourself a great wrestler, you was going to be in comparison to what Flair was doing. Uh, you, you know, and, and be proud of that. I mean, my God, he was in many ways he set the stage for what wrestling would become in the '80s and '90s and beyond. Uh, be proud of that, you know, be that elder statesman. But again, like you don't, I don't think there's anybody in Pittsburgh clamoring for Terry, Terry Bradshaw to come back or Ben Roethlisberger for that matter. Uh, uh, you know, if we could have him in their prime, that's one thing. We're not going to get Ric Flair in his prime. We're not going to get Terry Bradshaw or Ben Roethlisberger in their prime. So, uh, dabble around it, be that elder statesman. There's a million ways that you can interact with it, but I can sympathize with one again when he's 150, hopefully he makes it too. uh, he's going to want to get in there. That's the nature of being in this business. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's so hard to put into words and explain it to the fans that, that, that so adore this business. Uh, but being, a, you know, what, you know, and we'll talk about it in a different episode, watching him, you know, one of Ricky and I's matches last night, uh, you know, I'm watching it and it's, there's such like a fond draw there. Like, boy, if I could step right back into that screen and go back to that, yeah, because it was so special being in the ring with Ricky and in front of those fans. And I think you can see it in our faces. We're all with four of us having fun. And, you know, you could tell that Rick loved being in the ring and he was phenomenal at it. But, you know, there's a reality that comes, you know, with this with this life. If you get to the point where you can look back at your career and not be in that hole earlier, like so many of our friends, uh, you know, sit back and revel in that. You know, it's uh uh, he, you know, he's got the podcast now, and none of it is ever going to suffice. It's never going to completely replace. I was doing this podcast is great, and I love reliving these memories, but it's never going to completely replace the feeling of being in that ring. But we got to experience that feeling in the ring. We had that opportunity. The fans gave that to us. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying like you know, not performing some respect, but when you're, you know, it's, it's beating the dead horse. But if you've been put in a medically induced coma and, you know, all these things that we've talked about, you know, that that's the kind of uh, the, the kind of gift horse you don't look in the mouth. Right. Uh, Oxycontin should have killed me. The amount of that I was taking during those five years that I was taking it should have killed me. There's no medical reason that I should be here right now with the amount that I was taking. I ain't looking that gift horse in the mouth. The fact that I'm still here for my kid, the fact that I could go see my kid play football last week, that I could go watch my kid play in a, an actual paying show in downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, ooh, man, that that's damn near as close a high as being in, in, in a main event at a pay-per-view. Uh, and I'm sure in some respects bigger. Uh, if you could say to me right now, okay, you could be, back with Ricky Steamboat in the main event and having great matches with, with uh, the Hollywood blondes or watch your kid in a show in Pittsburgh or watch your kid on the sideline, high school football. 
I'll take those two. I'd, I'd love to do all three of them, but if you're only going to let me do two, I'll take those two because I have the memories of the of the of the the third one. So, uh, you know, I, I like I said, and I and it was heartfelt when I said it at the time when I found out that Rick was in this condition, I put into the coma. I I wished him the best. I, I you know, our differences aside, we've seen enough people die. Uh, I wish him the best, and like I said before on your on your on your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want him to find whatever happiness it is he's looking for. Clearly, if he's wanting to get in the ring again, he's trying to find something to replace that feeling, and nothing's going to ever completely replace that feeling. But I would think just turning and seeing those beautiful grandkids and watching them grow up, I marvel at watching my kids. Uh, so I, I think enough said about that. I, 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 To me, please put the last match behind you. Uh, be the elder statesman. Be that sage that you could be for our for our business. I think it's badly needed right now, and none better than Ric Flair could do that. Uh, we've, uh, do you know what? Actually, we've actually got a decent amount of time, so we'll get through a few more bits of news. Have you seen the Von Erichs film trailer? I had seen the trailer, yes, uh, and it, it it gave me goosebumps. Uh, it really did because you know, again, I knew Carrie so well, but I was coming up in the business. Uh, when I first heard about David dying in, in Tokyo and, uh, you know, was in the business and stepping into the business when, you know, this, this recurring awful curse on this family had just kept happening and kept happening. And then knowing Carrie so well, and when he, uh, committed suicide, it threw me because having traveled, you know, when you're on the road, you talk about just about everything. And Carrie was not, he did not shy away from talking about those tragedies in his family. Uh, and he used to tell me uh, on suicide, you can't do that, man. And right, God don't allow that. So when I heard that he had done that, uh, and, and Kerry was a good guy. I, I, I know Kevin esoterically, uh, also a good guy, but, uh, I didn't know David. I didn't know the other brothers. Uh, uh, I had met Fritz once or twice, but I like, can't, Hey, how you doing? Um, you know, that, that, that's a, that's an awful thing that you, that you place on a family. And I, and I'll say this about Kevin, when we were working on that promotion, trying to get it off the ground for Las Vegas, uh, we were in touch. We desperately wanted to work with Ross and, uh, Marshall and Kevin was very much the doting father that I would be. Um, if I'm going to let you have my kids, I'm going to make damn sure you're not going to let happen to my kids what else has happened. And, you know, as a father, Kevin, good job. But I'm, I'm eager to see the the show in a uh, in a weird, backward kind of way. Uh, you know, I, I know the story. You know, I, I know the story intimately well. Uh, but I want to watch and see it because I think, if nothing else, Kevin shows a redemption in this, right? I mean, there's a, a perseverance there that he could have easily succumbed to. He could have easily gone down that same path and would have just been another chapter in that tragedy, but instead gets completely away from it. Uh, and now has uh, two, two sons that he's guiding into the business and, and, you know, looking out for uh, that's the part that I want to see is, is cause that's the part I'm really unfamiliar with after Carrie died. Uh, you know, like I didn't really have any connection to the family other than talking with Kevin for, for this promotion with about using Ross and Marshall. So, yeah, I, I'm very eager to see it. I also want to see it cause I, you know, I, world-class championship wrestling was such a big part of my upbringing, like especially that, that those moments before stepping into the business and I, uh, you know, like the, uh, uh, the sportatorium documentary and things, which I thought were phenomenal. 
Uh, I'm eager to see how much of that, if, if if any of that, they get into. With uh, that being said, I'll run through a couple of things. and Because a couple of these questions have asked Dutch as well, so in case you're wondering why they're a bit familiar. Uh, Zac Efron stars as Kevin Von Erich. Uh, Lily James is also in it as the love interest. Maura Tini, uh, who's in uh, ER as Abby Lockhart. And she was, see, I remember her from as Jim Carrey's wife and ex-wife in Liar Liar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also, oh, MJF plays the fake Von Eric Lance, Von Eric, which is amazing. And yep. also my uh, suggestion that Dog the Bounty Hunter play Michael Hayes fell on deaf ears. <laughs> that would have been a great, great, yeah. great casting. I would, have thought been, I, I would have thought it would have been good. What do you think of Efron's running of the ropes at the beginning? I thought it was quite impressive. What astounded me was how much he looked like Carrie. Um, yeah, but he's playing Kevin. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. He looks like Carrie, but and so when I first saw the trailer, that's who I thought he was playing. Uh, you know, it's how they do this in in, in uh, uh, Hollywood. You know how these guys, because you know Zach's not a huge guy, right? And Carrie was a pretty big boy. Yeah, we've got five um, five foot eight Zach Efron. Yeah, yeah, and Carrie was what like six one ish, six two ish, uh, and you know really knew his way around a weight room. Uh, but you know it's it's enough that you can suspend the disbelief, especially those of us that knew the family. Um, and uh, you know it, it's going to be interesting to see how Hollywood puts its tilt on this. And, and you know these kind of shows, they, they're you know they they sometimes play loose with facts and that kind of thing. And I'm a stickler on stuff like that because having again having known it, uh, uh, a lot of that inside story. Um, but the fact I, I think it bespeaks for, for you know for what the Von Erichs meant to wrestling when Hollywood's doing a major movie and having, you know, that cast of characters play in it, uh, you know, it's, again, there's like this yin and yang part of it, right? You know, like when I, when I think of it, like there's, there's so much tragedy to it. And, you know, and for, for fans out there that aren't aware, there was a, there was a sister that had died when she was like two or three fell in a mud puddle, I think, or like a, a water puddle and drowned in the water puddle. Uh, th- that, uh, was, that was the first son, Jack Jr. I think. Oh, was it a son? I thought it was yeah, a daughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's called Jack Jr. Can, okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah you, know, you look at this and think, my God, like this is like a curse on this family, right? It's like one of those King Tut's tomb curse, curse type things. But uh, but, but the thing uh, is, is again, that if you watch the trailer itself, it's it mostly seems like a love story and only like a bit of tragedy because there's like a funeral scene in it. But then that's yeah. almost glossed over. You know, you've got the hard nosed father Fritz because there's a bit of the dining table where he says, right. "At the moment, I love you in this order, but that can always change." Which yes, which is yeah. a bizarre thing to. Uh, I don't know if it was ever said or not, but who knows? But I'm wondering what the tone of the film's going to be because, as Same you here. as you said, you can't talk about the von Erichs without just basically just talking about two hours of tragedy, essentially. Right. So I'm wondering what angle they will take with uh, uh, the story and liberties, if any, as well. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure there will be liberties, uh, but also, like, I, you know. For, I, if I've talked about this before, I, pro- I apologize. But you know, as I, each time I sit down to, to work on 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 a book, you know, about my career, uh, I find myself digressing to these uh, darker places, and I don't want the book to be that. I want the book to be. I still have an eye, a wide-eyed wonderment of the business. There are still times I look around and go, "How the hell did I get here? Why does anybody want to watch me on a podcast?" Uh, and I want to convey that. And so like, you got to find this balancing act. Uh, for me, the movie has to detail some of the tragedy, right? You can't have this, you know, this family that's so universally seen as being cursed. Uh, and I don't believe Kevin thinks that, uh, but, but like from my outside looking in. Uh, but 
you know, but there was a whole lot more to that story. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, Carrie, uh, having lost the foot, um, we traveled together and it was strange to this day. I don't know how he did it. We would walk into a building and, you know, carrying our bags, dressing room this way, Carrie would go this way. And five minutes later, he would come back completely dressed in gear. And so it was clear to anybody that paid attention <clears throat> There were two stories that he had the ankle fused, that the ankle was gone, that the foot was gone. And I thought, well, this is, if he doesn't want anybody to know, that's his personal right, you know? And I I just couldn't buy that the foot was gone because if you watch him performing as the Texas Tornado and doing the bolo punch and stuff, I'm like, if he's got no foot, that's pretty amazing. Well, he had no foot and it, it was amazing. Uh, he was an, a stud of an athlete. Um, but, you know, I, I did it. I tried as hard as I could to not impinge on that personal part of his life. <clears throat> he and I would room together quite often. And we were in Los Angeles. Uh, my brother had been a set designer that passed away in 2019, early 2020. Um, and he had gotten me a reading for a script from a lady that he'd worked with. Boots Hart was her name. And uh, I had gone out and done the reading. We had dinner and I, I went back. And I would always make noise at the door to, 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 so he, if he wanted to cover up or whatever. And he always, always did. Well, I made a bunch of noise door and I opened it and I, I go to walk in and I could see the leg, no foot. So I closed the door quietly and made noise again and, you know, kept, I finally went into the bathroom and they finally did cover up. Uh, I don't say that to embarrass him in any way. I say it to, to like really put him on a pedestal because again, go back and watch him performing as Kerry Von Eric. This is before all these new prosthetics that came up because of the Gulf War and I mean the, uh, the war on terror and these new amazing prosthetics that these uh, uh, people have. Uh, and you go back and watch basically with a prosthetic foot with a slip on sleeve and watch Carrie perform and <laughs> see if you could see him missing a step anywhere or, you know, really struggling to get there. He was, he was an amazing, and I, I'm sure they will hit on that in, in the movie, uh, but I'm definitely going to go see the movie because I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see what they do with it, what liberties they do take. I'm sure they will take some, uh, but you know, overall, I think it's, a, it's the story, even aside from the tragedy of a family who, who stepped into professional wrestling, you know, had their father as the stepping stone into the business. And even in spite of all this tragedy still left that big of a mark on the business. And that, that again, that ain't easy to do. Uh, the rumor that I was heard as a fan regarding Kerry's foot was that he'd injured it in a motorcycle accident, had surgery on it. And then someone who bet him that he couldn't walk across the dressing room and then he tried it. And that's when the, the absolute serious damage was done. Is that yeah. what you heard? Is there any truth to that? Yes. It wasn't a motorcycle. It was a quad. Sorry. And he was out riding around and he came, was coming up a real steep hill, I believe on their property. And somebody had called the police, I guess. And for, for whatever reason, and it, again, my understanding was it was on their own property. And when he got to the peak of the hill, he saw the cop cruiser sitting there and he, just instinctively tried to turn well his ankle got caught in between and the foot peg went through his ankle uh and just completely shattered the ankle and he would later tell me that you know the the the, the addiction that he followed up with that that would lead ultimately to his suicide uh was you know he said you don't realize how much of a shock absorber your foot is and so every step he would take even with the prosthetic foot it would go into his ankle or, or his lower leg into his knee into his hip into his back and each one of those, you know, was just pain, 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 pain. And, uh, uh, you know, he had gotten busted for writing bad scripts. And, the, the you know, they, they obviously the family was well known in Dallas. And the judge told him, like, 
you know, warned him prior to that. If I see him here again and saw him in there again, and he told him to go home, get his affairs in order. And, uh, Carrie went and took the other way out. And, uh, uh, I remember that like really, when I heard that it really jarred me because of the conversations that he and I had had in the car. Uh, but you know, you put a 44 Magnum to your chest. <clears throat> that ain't a cry for help. You're, you're serious about leaving. And, uh, so again, I, I hope the movie, even if it touches on the tragedy and, and and brings it into it, I hope it really does get into the type of people they were, you know, because again, as little as I'd met Kevin through the course, we didn't, our, our careers didn't really intersect much. Uh, Kevin was really quiet compared to the other ones as far as I was concerned. Uh, but, you know, you could always seem like a really good guy. Uh, and there's guys in our business, I'm sure a lot would say about me that, you know, some of us are assholes and, and some are, I always saw Kevin like that. And I, and I love Carrie. Carrie was just a, you know, a great guy. So I, I hope, the, I'm sure the movie will, you know, like dip into all that, but I'll definitely be in a the theater with my popcorn catching it for sure. Uh, this next bit of news, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we are going to realise what is actually happening in about a month's time. But Tammy Sitch, a prosecutor, has recommended that she's going to, uh, to get 26 years uh, calling the WWE Hall of Famer a danger to society, a prosecutor is asking that Tammy Sonny Sitch be sentenced to the maximum penalty of 26 years in prison for driving drunk in a crash that killed a man last year. Uh, the quote from the prosecutor, By continuously driving under the influence without a valid license, the defendant has demonstrated a wanton disregard for the law and a clear refusal to abide by the law. The state believes that the maximum sentence is the only way to protect the community from the defendant's repetitive and dangerous actions, wrote Assistant State Attorney Ashley Terwilliger. 26 years uh, has been recommended by the prosecutor. How does that sit with you as a number? Uh, it breaks my heart, honestly. I mean, uh, you know, I, th there's a, a, a you know part of me that, that, that really admires Tammy in the sense of what she had done in wrestling, you know, like and not needing to do it in the ring. Uh, really, wrestling's real first true diva. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had great women wrestlers before that, Sherry and and Ducey and. And even jazz, like in around that same time, maybe a hair after, but uh, she was that first, like, beautiful woman that didn't look like a woman wrestler, right? I mean, she walked, uh, you know, really, really did have that. And and Tammy was a you know very bright girl. I you know we would talk often in the dressing room uh, to see where she's gone and see seen what addiction has done in her life. Uh, after sitting and watching as much as we had watched uh, the, the absolute holocaust and devastation that was the wrestling business in the 90s, uh, to not, you know, to, to not want to veer away from that and go some other way. Uh, but I agree with the prosecutor. There, there, there had been a, you know, to me, I've always said, if I've spent one minute inside a jail cell, that would cure me of whatever bad thoughts I had. I, you know, I, I, the idea of not being able to move around just to me, I'd have to, you know, off myself somehow. Um, you know, and if that didn't cure her for that, I, and I do think though, there's another side of this, you know, from what I heard that she was constantly given breaks, you know, like, mm -hmm. and, you know, she, I'm not, I'm not assuaging her or giving her a get out of jail free card, no pun intended. Uh, but <laughs> You could see how somebody heard her going in there and say, well, you know, these people know me. They're giving me these little extra breaks and whatever else. And instead of that real slap on the hand or kick in the ass. Uh, but, you know, to me, and, and we've talked about this off camera multiple times as far as, you know, hurting somebody else. The fact that you did that, and I think what's going to, and I said it at the time, what's going to really do her damage is being online 
in the days following that. Yeah. And MFing people on there. Like it's, you know, I'm sure she has an explanation as to why she said that. I'm no tech guy, as you know, but I'm like, I always say like, a, who in today's day and age would get on here and take a picture of themselves naked and send it to somebody. I mean, how could that go bad? Right. <laughs> Universally as that happens. Uh, but to go on after doing that, like at this point, like this is the time to shut up and be quiet and stay the hell off social media. Uh, I think it's going to come back and haunt her. The fact that there was multiple times this happened and the fact that she was doing it, showing no remorse whatsoever. And then even at one point, didn't she blame the, the guy that she killed? Like it was somehow his fault. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing. And I'm sure Tammy doesn't really believe that it's somewhere in the middle of that, that, that intelligent girl she used to be has to know that, uh, you know, there, if there's ever a time to throw yourself on the sword, I get the whole point of legal strategy going into a, a courtroom and everything, but that will not play well. Uh, I don't know if she's having a jury trial or a, or a trial by the judge um, to de be decided by the judge. I don't see it. I don't think a jury will take kindly to that. And I don't think any judge will take kindly to that. Cause again, this multiple occasions. And as the prosecutor says, there's a wanton disregard for, for the rule of law. And really for the safety of the residents in that area, anywhere she's around, uh, I guess the question I would put to anybody out there and uh, would you want your children playing on a street that Tammy's going to be driving down? And I think that's, you know, and I, again, I don't want to sound like I'm demonizing the girl, uh, but what she did was awful. And there was no, re no reason for it to, to have happened other than just wanton disregard. And I had said back when it first happened, somebody was saying, uh, and maybe Francine and I were talking. So I was talking with somebody and they were saying, well, like, it's like, you know, five, six years. I said, well, she's going to get more than that. I, I can't imagine she can get off that easily uh, because of all those extenuating circumstances. Uh the fact of the matter remains that we sit here today and we talk about there's a person that is in a grave because of somebody else's actions. And again, that would be the place to throw yourself on the sword and take whatever punishment comes. And I think the punishment probably had she done that been at least a little bit less than that. Now understand the recommendation from the prosecutor doesn't mean that that's what she's going to get. But based on the circumstances here, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to see that the judge or a jury wouldn't, get at least close to that because of the, there's so many circumstances involved here that really are negative and, 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 and towards her in that respect. Uh, whatever time she gets, I, I hope and pray that Tammy can find the person that she used to be in there. Uh, cause she really is an intelligent young woman. Uh, yeah, again, like I said earlier about sting, it's, you, you don't get to that point just because, uh, you know, or, or just luck. There, there, there's a lot of cunning and a lot of planning that goes into that and strategizing and so many other things. Tammy uh, 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 had been a very bright girl. I know she must still be in there. I hope she can find it to try to help bring peace to the family that she brought so much pain to and uh, hopefully be able to get out a bit before that. I think Tammy could, if has the opportunity to do that, she could be an incredible resource to go out there to talk to other people and say, Hey, like, this is the thing not to do. Uh, but it doesn't surprise me. Like, I, I thought for sure that when, when this first happened, that this was going to be a, you know, a long stretch and whatever it is, whether it's 26 years or something lighter, uh, 
you know, I, I hope that somewhere Tammy can find her peace in there and help try that, help that family find peace in it too. It's just a tragedy all around. Uh, I'm going to give you two more news stories, but for the penultimate one, I need to find a prop. So just bear with me one second. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. So Bret Hart, a few days ago, it was revealed on Reddit or wherever it was that he had signed a photo uh, this way. Fuck Bill Goldberg. Shittiest wrestler who ever stepped in a ring. Brett Hitman Hart. <laughs> Brett remains disdainful of Bill Goldberg after all this time, it seems, after the Starcade head kick. Were you in, you were in the building at the time, were you? Or you, I, you left? I, 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 I think I was there. I, I, know, I know I was there in that same time frame as Bill and, and Brett being there. Uh, I, I know I was with Brett afterwards in, in Australia because he was explaining to me uh, the injury, um, the, the concussion. Uh, but I can't recall what what time, of, what was the date on that? Oh, well, uh, I mean, that, that photo was only just taken a few days ago. No, no, I mean, the uh, the incident where... where uh, uh, oh, uh, Star, it was Starcade 1999, so December 1999. Oh, yeah, and I was still there then. I didn't leave until 2000, I think, or a little bit after. Yeah. So, yeah, I would have been there. Do you ever talk to Brett about his issues with concussions, maybe before or after the Bill Goldberg kick? Yes. Uh, uh, we had talked again in Australia about uh, uh, the, the bike accident um, and, you know, the recurring uh, effects uh, of the uh, multiple uh, concussions. And, you know, what he was laying out, uh, to me, and I, it's you know because it's his his private health. I don't want to get too much into it, but it it was a bit hellish, you know, what he was explaining to me. Uh, when I, I, you know, off the subject, but to the same topic, uh, when I watched the movie about uh, uh, called Concussion uh, about Dr. Benjamin Amalu, who'd originally diagnosed uh, CTE, and did so on uh, Mike Webster, who was a you know captain of the iconic Steeler team in the seventies and eighties. What that man was experiencing in the end of his life must have been no less than being in hell. Uh, you know, couldn't sleep. Uh, from uh, they found a police taser in his truck, and he had burns up inside his groin. He was tasing himself with a police taser to sleep. They were giving him powerful sleeping meds that weren't working. Um, he was experiencing hell, and uh, you know, a lot of what Brett. I won't say that Brett's were near that bad as the, the symptoms he was explaining to me. But, you know, for guys that have done like what we've done in our business, uh, you know, gone and traveled the world and, and you know, a constant 24-hour day, 365-year, go, go, go. And again, performing at the level of a Bret Hart to suddenly be having the types of symptoms that Bret had, had uh, described to me, I would see, although maybe not as severe as what, you know, Michael uh, Mike Webster uh, was experiencing, but it sounds to me like it was on the path towards that. And you could see how, you know, th these are two divergent styles, right? Uh, Bills was coming into the business afterwards. Um, uh, the very different approach that, than uh, Brett being brought up in the business and, you know, being, you know, really diligent, you know, you know, the excellence of execution, right? Which is no misnomer. Um, and to go into the ring and have something like that happen seems, uh, I don't want to say cruel because it implies that Bill intended. I, 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 I'm sure Bill didn't. But these are the things that can happen uh, 
when you're in the ring and it could happen you know he could be in the ring with a ricky steamboat and that have have happened less likely i would say but still could have happened uh so you know but each of us carries our own uh likes and dislikes in the business and and it you know i'd be remiss if i would say to 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 uh, brett that he didn't have the right to have his um, but I, I would, you know, say, and, and, and this is not even a defensive bill. It's just, again, I can go into the ring with the safest wrestler on the planet and get hurt. Uh, it, it's, you'll know if it's intentional or not. I think, you know, pretty clearly if somebody intended to do it or not, um, sometimes it could be in the gray area, but for the most part, you'll, you'll know if it was meant to be a tater or not. And I just would have a really tough time thinking that bill intended to do that. Uh, just knowing him like the person I know. Um, but I can also see Brett's distaste and anger with it. You know, it's, especially when you come from the place that he did into the business and, and how he conducted his career, uh, just one of those things that, you know, like I, I don't think you know, we're ever going to reach a point where Ric Flair and I become buddies. Uh, and I don't think we're ever going to see a time when Brett and, and Bill Goldberg become buddies. Uh, uh, but in that part of what makes the world go round, you know, it's otherwise would be a pretty boring place. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think enough said about that. It's you know, I, I get along great with both guys, and I, and I respect both guys as different things they brought to the business. And I I would be really shocked if this was like an intentional tater by Bill. I uh, just mm. I think there might be times you know, not being as well trained or having been in the business as long uh, that you know you and intending and not intending would be two different things, but, you know, far like more likely to happen with somebody who's less well-trained than say with somebody uh, that is well, as well-trained as Brett had been. So uh, I, I think it's just really one of those things that you're never going to get a satisfactory answer to. Uh, there's always going to be some level of, of anger. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, of the <clears throat> many things we didn't get to the news for uh, Nick Aldis's debut on uh, WWE television, Ted DiBiase Jr.'s indictments, uh, the rise of LA Knights, Dominic Mysterio, the debut of Edge, Brian Pillman Jr., CM Punk being turned by, down by WWE. So it just goes to show you just how much news we've just missed. Quite frankly, yeah. with all of that, I don't know if there's anything on any of those things you want to just bring up or I can just shut the podcast yeah. down now. Yeah, the, the, look, the thing with, with Brian Pillman Jr., um, oh. I... I I had just learned this last night from, from Moose. Uh, it's the first I'd heard of it. And look, I get that Vince wants to own the name and, and all that. I, I, I understand that side of it. I really do. But um, the kind of promo that Moose described to me, if accurate, uh, I think put Brian Jr. Uh, in, in a, uh, in an awkward place. Why don't you I know, show it you? Uh, I'll, I'll show it you now. Yeah. Okay. One sec. I thought that was Brian Pillman. I mean, it was, you know, that like, woo, like almost caught you. Yeah. Um, something else. All right. So, uh, here is the, uh, last minute of the sort of debut promo where Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, renounces the name Brian Pillman. Yeah. His own damn son. I lost him when I was just four years old. I don't know him. And you'd think being a WWE superstar would be the last thing that I'd want to be. And you're right. And trust me, I've tried. I've tried everything. I've tried football, lacrosse. Hell, I even have a college degree. But this industry has been in my blood since birth, and I could never escape it. I've got no choice but to embrace it. I have no choice but to inflict pain on the very business that has brought me so much grief. 
But when they see this face, I don't want them to think about my dead father. I want them to think about me. I'm nobody's junior. And from this day forward, I'm gonna take on the last name of the real man who raised me, the real father figure in my life. And his name was King. And now so is mine. There you go. Well, well done. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty intense. Yeah, it's uh, and boy, what a, what a full circle that'll be in character development, right? If if the writers there are smart enough to carry it through, to bring them back to re-embracing it, uh, uh, not nearly as bad as described to me as I thought. Uh, and kudos to Brian. I mean, that was well delivered. Um, good promo. Okay. I don't know if you saw my face. I was, you know, sort of like, ooh. No, like no, you, you were on it, it the entire time. While good. that video was playing, you were on. You go, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, you know, because I hadn't seen him be able to do that one of those before. So a good step in the right direction. I, you know, to me, and there's always this time we blur the lines between our real lives and everything. Uh, <laughs> you know, in ECW, we did so many things that fans could say were tasteless, right? Uh, you know, guilty. Um, but you know, for again, for WWE, and I think the audience that they're playing to, uh, you know, I, I I can see make a pretty good guess as to where they're going to take it and go with it and, and do that full circle again. Great character arc, uh, but you know, on on the face of it, it should get you know people talking. You know, it's again, I thought it was going to be like one of those things of just the way it was described to me, like he just sort of shit on his on his own father. Um, and maybe he did in other parts of that promo. I don't know. But that to me looked much more like a wrestling promo instead of a, you know, an exorcism. Uh, uh, I just have always been bored by you know, like when Kurt Hennig's kid goes up there and they call him. I, again, I get the whole copyright point of it. I really do. Uh, but, you know, if you're. Last name's Flair or Steamboat or Douglas or Sam Martino. It's pretty hard to to go in and say, "Well, I'm Joe Smith today," and you don't know who I really am. Um, I, you know, it, it just seems like there's a strangeness to that to me that I I don't think I'll ever be able to warm up to. And I think it's because of the divide between me and sports entertainment. Um, I've always considered myself a wrestler, but that, on the delivery of that thing, I thought that was one of the best promos I've ever seen brian jr do uh and uh boy that even the 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 facial like i said when you first threw that up i i glanced up and i immediately thought it was brian because i'm I, I just watched the clips last night you know of, of our match and i you know that, that you know brian had that face that if you were friends with him like we were it's just like it's it's like seared in there grilled in there uh but here's the other part brian <laughs> he's probably upstairs right now going that's brilliant. Great stuff. That's I that was right up Brian's alley. So you know, I, I I'd come to think of it when I was gonna like be critical of that when I saw it. And uh I still don't like the the tap dance of where it's like seemingly at, but on the delivery, and I can see the arc that's coming from it. This could be like one of those first get back to the business type thing of, of what we do. And I, I I just hope they take it the way that I think they're going to, uh, and 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 take the fans on a hell of a ride with it. But great job, Brian Jr. Yeah, uh, it's funny because when I was talking on the other podcast with Dutch, that's what I said. I said that would be perfect if they eventually, because he's going to hopefully be brought in as a bad guy, and then eventually reconciles with his own past, changes his name back to Brian Pillman. Then you've got a fresh character. Then you've yeah. got an evolution of something that everyone wants him to be anyway, and then it sort of should yeah. propel him forth from there. But anyway. 
Uh, I'm curious, was... what, did, what did Dutch think? Can't remember. I do so many of these podcasts, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was. I think he was. I think he was. I think he was broadly in favour of it. I don't think a lot of people were offended as you were by the name change, right? But I don't even think Dutch was. I think he was like, no, I can see him doing really big things with that. Yeah, yeah. So, see again, Dutch has that ability to see like in a, in, in a, a Booker's men- mentality, right? To see that water vision. So interesting. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, we shall leave it there. Thank you very much everybody for watching. As yes. I probably say, Franchise University with Shane Douglas is out every Tuesday, as I'm sure you'll know. I will be revealing in two episodes time the email that you can get involved with to send questions to the franchise himself, and we will do a fan question podcast once every single month. I'll give you the details when they are uh, most relevant, let me tell you. But for now, thank you very much for watching. And Shane, I was going to say we the people then. We don't do it on this one, Shane. What's the outro we do here? And if I remember it properly, right, it's going to be the. Uh, I appreciate you guys tuning in and learning at Franchise University. <laughs>